Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and I am joined as always and forever by my good friend and business partner, uh, the dear Jason Johnston Yellen. You said forever there with almost a, a hint of foreboding. Like, this is my shackle until the end of days. Mm. Which, the good news is, it could be December umpteenth of this year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, and forever. You said, and forever. Well, you know, I'm never one to, to tell someone that their feelings are wrong, that their perceptions of a particular situation is wrong. But I would, I would say that, that you are wrong. So That you said it with foreboding. Yeah, I did not say it with foreboding. That no, that was more like, happy. yeah, that's, uh, I, I thought it was a good thing that we were going with there. Let's jump straight into being wrong, because <laughs> I think that's a, a thread that our listeners would enjoy us pulling at. <laughs> the, good, <laughs> the good James Foster wrote in, and, and James is a, a learned fellow. I had the, the distinct honour of teaching with James Foster at the University of Idaho mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody knows Greek and Latin the way that James Foster does. And so when I, in the last episode, I believe it was, I was mentioning a, a paean, right? A, a paean. Yeah, to, correct. Right, the David Jennings book, to wild turkey. Yeah, not a paella, uh, but a paean. Not a paella. And so so the, the wonderful James Foster, the learned James Foster, the newly retired James Foster. That's right. He's now got more time to reach out to me and tell me what I'm doing wrong. He said, he wrote in and he said, paean, which we're about to find out, is from the Greek and so is pronounced peen. <laughs> So there you go. It's peeing. Peeing. Like, yeah. like I just drank a water and now I'm going to do a lot of peeing. Exactly. Yes. Okay. It, okay. It, is, uh, it is connected to urine. So peeing. Yeah. So, so to, to correct the record, in my opinion, David Jennings wrote a wonderful, almost a beautiful peeing to Wild Turkey Distillery and the Russells who have distilled there for many a decade. So before you had said it's related to urine, then you said peeing, and then I'm like, urine peeing? Is this a European joke? I feel like I've stumbled into National Lampoon territory now. I think think you did. I, I I will say this. As someone who works with, on a daily basis... A person who often tells me when I'm wrong and puts me in my place. It's nice to know that it does trickle down. You've got James Foster putting oh, you in your I see place. See, you did there with the P in humor. Okay, <laughs> it has trickled down. Gotcha. With you, right? And then it trickles down yet again to me, and it's all over my shoes at the moment. <laughs> One could argue that I learned it from James Foster, uh-huh. and uh, and like any good parent who learns it from his dad. He has passed it on to the next generation. And so in my eyes, Joshua, you're the next generation. Oh. And so if, if I can correct you in any way, shape or form, I will be continuing on the legacy of James yeah. Foster. If you could just stop correcting me in every way, shape and form, 
uh, I'd be a, I'd be a little happier, Jason. Yeah, so it happens when you fuck a stranger in the Alps, Joshua. That's what happens. <laughs> speaking of, actually speaking of, this has been rattling around in my brain. Wow. So I watched a Simon Pegg movie All right. the, the other night. Uh-huh. Spoiler alert, it was terrible. Uh, from 2011, uh-huh. Simon Pegg, Jeff Daniels, Kirsten Dunst, uh, Megan Fox, Gillian Anderson, right? This is a good cast so far. Right, right. Such a terrible, terrible movie. But what's interesting is with Jeff Daniels, mm-hmm. he plays this head of a, a New York-based magazine, kind of a fashion magazine, a little bit gossipy, that type of thing. And uh, he plays the head of this, the founding head of this magazine. They had multiple Big Lebowski references in the script that became kind of interesting to keep an eye out for. And uh, and after the third one, I was kind of like, okay, I get it. You're making Big Lebowski references. But at what point will you make a reference to the Jesus, right? (laughs) And about maybe 40 or 50 minutes after I had that thought, Mm -hmm. somebody surprises Simon Pegg. And he goes, Jesus. And I was like, wow, look there at that. It is. There it there is. There it is. Was they this, made, yeah. Was this the one where he had the long hair and he was scared of everything? He was kind Mm-mm. of, no. No, that one, that one's not an easy watch, but I found it's it not. somewhat enjoyable. Um, no, this one is something like how to, how to lose friends and, Uninfluence people. I I know what you're talking about. Alienate people, maybe? Yep. I saw the the cover, like the the movie poster to that, because I was searching for his new show. He's got a new show with, um, shit, what's his name? Nick Nick Frost. And where they're they're ghost hunters. Yes. Yep. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah. You ever gone back and, and ever watched Spaced? With Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, I know I've I know I've recommended it for approximately a decade, maybe twelve years. Ever yeah. ever watched it? Ever seen I it? I have. Yeah, I have seen maybe one or two episodes. There's there's a another person in the show. So it's a woman. She's she does stuff with um, Ricky Gervais now, right? Does she? Doesn't she? So her name used to be Jessica Stevenson. And then she used her married name, and I forget what her married name is. Mm. But she, Any, she was Jessica Stevenson back in 1999 in the first season of Spaced. Well, which I, I highly recommend to all the listeners. I I recall watching two episodes, and then I didn't go back to it. While you while you're while you're dismissing me, let me go back to we had a nation member, and and I apologize, I'm I'm blanking on the name, and I never have Facebook open, but um, one of our members reached out to say, um, Pete Smoking Spirit by mm-hmm. Andrew Jefford was also one of their favorite whiskey books. I remember seeing and that, and they yeah. they appreciated the mention in the podcast, and then another member jumped in to say. But have you seen the price on it? And so I just wanted to, to say in the podcast what I answered on Facebook to this member. They've actually changed the title 
of Peat, Smoke and Spirit by Andrew Jefford. Hmm. And it's now called Whiskey Island, which I think is an objectively terrible title. But you can now find copies of Whiskey Island available for normal paperback pricing. And it's the Pete same Smoke book. And Spirit. Pete, Pete Smoke and Spirit, I think, I think I saw offered for like $150. Are you kidding me? I have first, really inst- I have first really press inst- hardcover. Yeah, well, that that's probably three hundred dollars. But you're you're not a you're not a book flipper. You know, you would never think about flipping a whiskey book. I flip the pages. Oh, well done. That was that was quite impressive. I'll give you <laughs> Thank that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so if you do want to read Pete Smoke and Spirit, but you don't want to pay an exorbitant price for it, reach out and get Whiskey Island. Mm. Which, by the way, is the name of uh, a documentary from, I want to say, the 60s, mid-60s or so. It was this documentary that talked about turning Isla into a tourist attraction because of whiskey. And in that movie, and it was actually David Blackmore of Glenmore and Jeanard Begg who, who sent this movie to me, and I think in part because Ardbeg, you know, plays plays a bit of a role in it. But one of the interesting scenes in that in that movie, and you can find it on YouTube. It's it's not you don't have to rent it or anything like that. One of the interesting things is you see a scene where they're loading up a boat with casks, and there's a malt mill cask on that boat. Absolutely, I know exactly what you're talking amazing. about. Yeah, yep, yep. Was that out of the '60s? For, for me, for me, Isla just stands in 1955. Like just every time I think about Isla, like even if, even you know I was there last year, I just think 1955 when I think Isla. Yeah, but this was color, or parts of it were in color, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't know if color existed in 1955. <laughs> On Isla. On Isla, at least. Before we start talking about the subject at hand, which is. India's Paul John Distillery out of Goa, through the lens of our conversation with Shilton Almeida, I had a question about your shirt. Is that a Run DMC shirt? It's not, no. It's a, <laughs> Every year, Harrisonburg has a glow run on New Year's Eve. Uh, and so the, the gun goes off at 5 p.m. It's, it's dark, it's cold, and then you, you run a 5K with everybody. Ahead of the festivities. Mm. Yep. All right. Yep. And so that's why it says run in really large letters, but everything else is the oh, opposite. Okay. However, you you just you just received some some terrible news about Run DMC the other day. You were you were asking me Fuck. this in one of our many FaceTime meetings during the week. I know, because I you know, here I am on Facebook and I see this article and it says, you know, two men arrested suspected of having killed Jam Master J. And I thought, Jam Master J has been killed, and you informed me that that happened a long time ago? Long time ago, yeah. <sighs> I have at been, least uh, At least towards the beginning of coronavirus and COVID lockdown. Oh, okay, so it's not like years ago. Oh, it's years ago. I'm making a joke about time no longer existing. Oh, you're making, you're cracking and making a funny... Data, do you even know what a joke is? Of course I do. It is a witticism, a gag, a bon mot, a fluctuation. Making a funny. What what am I to you, a clown? Are you telling me one of your comedies again? (laughs) 
<laughs> so listen, listen, listen. My gosh, between between Jam Master Jay and Simon Pegg movies and the woman who I think does stuff with Ricky Gervais now. Um, yeah. I actually got me thinking peeing could be the 21st century version of laughing. A lot messier, though. Well, throw down some plastic sheets and away you go. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe make a dossier that you hide afterwards. Anyway. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. What's interesting to me is Amrut has really, really taken on the lion's share of representing Indian single malt. Mm-hmm. And and I feel pretty confident now, and certainly when you and I had an Amrut bottling, I felt pretty confident in bringing up Amrut to many, many, many people. And it had at least been heard of, even if it hadn't been tried. And I remember first hearing about Paul John, mm-hmm. this, this Goa single malt. Mm-hmm. And then being in the Cadenheads warehouse in Campbelltown and there being a single cask of Paul John there. And I want to say it was maybe six, maybe seven years old with okay. part. Do you, do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I, believe me, I, I have three bottles of that. Yeah. So was it, was, it six or was it seven? You keep talking. I'm going to look. Okay. So and, and part of that maturation happened in Scotland. But it was one of those moments where you know what it's like when you spend your time getting to know kind of the big name in town and then you see you know a, a new kid on the block so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that was Paul John and then tasted it straight from the cask and it was so wonderfully lively and vibrant and interesting. And, and and this is going to sound like, you know, I think this is quite an embarrassing point to make. It didn't taste anything like Amrut. And, and hmm. I think it's one of those things, you know, we're so busy in Scotland and so busy in Ireland and so busy in America, focusing on, on all the points of difference amongst all the distilleries. And then somebody comes along and says, oh yeah, this is Indian single malt. And I think it's too easy for the brain to autofill and think, oh, Indian single malt is all of a likeness. And, and I, hmm. I think it's really, you know, tremendous to be able to get out now. And now, you know, obviously, and this is the way this often happens, I'm seeing more and more people talking about Paul John. Partly, I think it's the overseas growth of Paul John. But I also think, and we've said this many times, I think Cadenheads, and, I, and I'm guessing it was Mark Watt who was with them at that point, did a tremendous job helping to spread the word of Paul John. Uh, 100%. And, and so, by the way, I, I went to my shelf. I think I've got two different ones because this one is a six-year-old distilled in 2011. So we would have gotten this in 2017. I think mm-hmm. there's a seven-year-old as well that we got in 2018. And what I think it was, it was the same parcel because they bought a larger parcel sort of all vatted together and then filled a few different casks, like refilled casks to do extra maturation in Scotland. And uh, so I think I have a six-year-old and I have a seven-year-old. I will tell you, however, that I, I don't think it can be discounted 
the work that our friend Ajay Boja, and hopefully mm. I pronounced oh, yeah. his last name right. Yeah, a great point with a terrible pronunciation. Yeah, yes, exactly, right? So Ajay in the U.S., he's no longer with Paul John. I, I think he parted ways with them in either late 2018, early 2019, somewhere around there. He was one guy working the entire U.S. market, pimping Paul John, doing every show, every smart show, right? And and doing seminar after seminar and bar, you know, takeovers and you name it. He was an absolute champion. And so I got to, to know about Paul John through Ajay and fell in love with Paul John because of Ajay. And then we went to Scotland, and then I got to see all of the work that Caddenheads had been doing with Paul John. And then to Shilton, who has done, I think, what, what Ajay was doing US side for UK and rest of the world. Mm-hmm. UK, Europe, gets home to, to Goa. <laughs> used to, <laughs> bit like myself, used to be a little bit more, and then something happened in 2020 where we're not getting home as much, but... Dashed if I can work out what that is. Yeah. You know what? There might be a video about it. We could watch it together. It'll be like a COVID watching. You know what I mean? I- I'm waiting for the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> so d- during the lockdown, actually, funny we are talking about this. Uh, nothing else to talk about when we're not going anywhere, traveling anywhere. Uh, during the lockdown in the United Kingdom, Shilton really occupied Instagram and we touch on it a little bit in the interview mm-hmm. but it was it was great seeing him crop up in the feed and somebody who was just trying to entertain himself entertaining people <laughs> on his feed yeah. and just doing silly ass stuff yeah uh, in a in a really lovely way so you know kudos to him for trying his best to put a smile on people's faces uh, at a time when there was a a lot of uncertainty. It's great talking about this for the United Kingdom because their uncertainty is a little more behind them now. So, <laughs> talk us into a cul-de-sac. I didn't mean you to did. talk us into a cul-de-sac. You, you, you really did. Uh, I highly suggest that we hand the mic over to you and me and Shilton. Checks out. Yeah, this way we can shut you up and hear you again, just in a different conversation. For those who are not familiar with Paul John and, and what you guys are doing um, in Goa, I wonder if you could give a little history of the distillery, how it started, what you do, and then we can go from there. Sure. So Paul John, uh, this, the distillery is based in Goa on the west coast of India. Uh, we're just 10 kilometers away from the sea. Uh, it started off by just, I would say, a dream project by Mr. Paul P. John. Uh, who came up in a, with a company in 1992, uh, John Distilleries, uh, started making whiskeys, rum, brandy for the Indian market. Till 2008, uh, when he thought, when he said, why don't I start a single malt uh, by myself, when you have everything uh, in India, as in the ingredients like barley, water, why don't we start off? And that's how it started uh, oh, setting okay. up uh, and the whole idea was passed on to Michael, our master distiller, 
who set up the distillery in 2008. 2009 is when we started distilling. And 2012 is when we launched the first single malls in the UK. Okay. As, as we were just, uh, discussing before, it's uh, a lot of people would say, uh, well, I'm, I'm here for five years now in the, in the UK. And a lot of guys will come to me and say, I didn't ever knew India makes a single malt. Uh, but the the history goes back in the 18th century with the British in India, and that's how it started from there. Wait, so there was, you know, obviously I, I know of the the long history of of the British in, in India, but I wasn't aware of single malt production in India that early on. There, yeah. Uh, do you know who that was? Are there records of that? Yeah, uh, it was. Um, in the British Raj in the 18th century, a man, Edward Dyer, uh, he set up a brewery up north uh, in the foothills of Himalayas. Uh, and, uh, that's uh, basically, that was the British summer camp because of the weather's foothills of Himalayas. And that's where the first brewery was set up. Uh, it's the oldest distillery today in Asia. Uh, and I just uh, figured out, or I think they have already launched a single malt again now. But that's, uh, that was in the 18th century. But then after independence, uh, the production of whiskey was hampered because there wasn't enough barley for people to eat. So, you know, why do you want to make uh, whiskey? And that's when people started turning to other resources. And that's how molasses came in the picture. So most of the whiskeys in India, as, as you know, are based out of molasses spirit. Right. Uh, Unless, uh, I mean, until Amrut started in 2004 and Paul John now in 2012. And there are many more which are coming up as well. So with the whiskey that's made from molasses, uh, you know, I guess a- anywhere else in the world, we would probably refer to that as rum because rum is, is a molasses-based drink. But in, in India, it seems the, the laws are different to allow whiskey to be used in that particular situation? Yeah, uh, it's uh, either molasses or even grain spirit being used uh, in, in many, with, by many producers. The things, the laws have changed uh, in the last two, two years, I guess, uh, where, you know, it's been under, it's, it's been all controlled uh, to call it as a single malt or, or whiskey, but still uh, it will be saying as a whiskey made in um, in India, and it will have, uh, it will be also say, saying on the label itself that it has got, it's been blended by scotch malt on it. So how much scotch goes in the blend? <laughs> that's that's oh, something to wow. figure out. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Do you, I mean, obviously that, that doesn't get outside of India, but do you, fi- you know, personally, do you find that problematic? Would you like to see a, a change in the laws that make things more clear for the people of India? Yeah, I mean, it should be, uh, I think it is, well, as I said, it has been changed uh, recently, but then there are different market segments as well, Joshua. I mean, to understand, um, there are, there is economy segment whiskeys, which you will get for about two pounds or three pounds for a bottle of 750 ml. And then that's that how it will start. It will go up to five, 10 pounds a bottle. And so there is the biggest consumption is for that segment uh, overall. Uh, today, it's uh, whiskey is one of the uh, I mean the biggest uh, India is one of the biggest drinking consumption market in the world. 
but mm-hmm. most of it is that mm-hmm. segment of for that range of whiskies wow. being bred. When you were saying in 1992, you've got the beginnings of Paul John. In 2012, you launched that first single malt. I was reading uh, the the malt whiskey yearbook entry for Paul John, and it talks about this extra neutral spirit that was being produced. Yeah. And I hadn't seen that term before. I've seen neutral spirit. But what was going on with extra neutral? Was was there an ingredient? Was there a distillation method? What was the deal with extra neutral? Well, uh, uh, the, the, as, as I said, the laws have changed. I mean, uh, one of the brand that we have is uh, what uh, Mr. Paul started was with the uh, original choice. Mm-hmm. Which yep, original that. choice is uh, is uses molasses based spirit and extra neutral alcohol is about ninety five or ninety six percent ABV. If <laughs> I'm not wrong, uh, which is then watered down and and comes down by adding flavors and uh, colors to that, it get it down to forty two point eight. I'm with you. Yeah, and uh, the original choice is a brand uh, which is uh, if you look at the top selling spirits in the world, well, look at the top twenty, you will see that at number five. This brand sells one million cases a month. A month? A month. <laughs> and that's to that to that to nine liter cases as well. <laughs> oh my you had my attention at one million cases <laughs> when you threw in month. You blew my mind. So <laughs> holy moly. So for our listeners who who maybe don't understand the term uh, nine liter case. That means it's a twelve bottle case or twelve seven fifty milliliter bottles, and that's a million of those cases per month. Yeah, we, uh, the, the biggest success of that brand was uh, we came out uh, just because of the the you know the way people were drinking uh, and how you could just go to the retail store and buy. Uh, a, a miniature uh, of the whiskey with the first uh, brand who came out with a whiskey in a tetra pack. Whoa. Wow. That is it. That's like a little juice box. It's like box. a little juice box. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, you, it doesn't come with a straw, though. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and you're not allowed to put it in your packed lunch. No, for no, sure. no. Uh, if, uh, if you look at the pricing of that, that is 30 rupees. That's less, uh, that's about 50 cents. Okay. So that's how. Wow! And what was the volume on the box? That's ninety ml. This is this oh, one's wow. okay. this that's one's at ninety decent. ml cool. at forty two point eight ABV. So. Oh, that's three ounces for fifty cents. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get you where you there, are, there are different size in, sizes in that, and uh, but that's what well, that was else at one million uh, cases a month. Um, even if you look at the entire list, uh, which uh, the one uh, there was one out in February, I think the second biggest is Officer's Choice as a whiskey and a, another yes, Indian whiskey, yes. which sells what mm-hmm. thirty five million cases a year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So okay. much. So just about three million a month. <laughs> Holy moly! Those are incredible volumes. Absolutely incredible. Um, I want to. I want to come back to to Paul John and kind of the the 2012 and the story mm-hmm. of the malt. Yep, but uh, first of all, I'd I'd like to get your story. Like, what got you started? What was what was your life growing up like in India? And where did your spark come from for 
for single malt, and then they made you move all the way to England. And I, I am sorry to hear that, Hilton. That's that's not easy on anybody. No, no. Um, but yeah, give give us a bit about you. Yeah, so I was born. I'm born and brought up in in Goa. I started off in the hospitality industry before, um, because uh, Goa being a tourist destination, that's uh, more uh, what I was into. And uh, my uh, first time uh, I moved out was in 2006, uh, where I uh, moved to the Middle East, and I was working for travel retail at the airport. Uh, this is this is when I it got me into whiskies, and I would say it's all curiosity. Because uh, if you're working in the Middle East and you're selling whiskies, uh, most expensive whiskies, but you can't try any of them, <laughs> <laughs> you're making people buy them. You know, you're selling, you're telling the story about it, you're telling the tasting notes and everything, but you actually don't know if it's true. <laughs> wow! So that got me into reading stuff and and uh, and learning about how it has been done and. Um, uh, and uh, you know, talk about it uh, just by and, and sharing with different people. Uh, till 2012 is uh, when I moved uh, down to Goa and joined the distillery. And walking around in the in the distillery, I was like, okay, so I had seen this in the pictures. This is how it is made. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what a still looks like. That's a line. That's how it is. <laughs> I'm with. You. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, 2012, uh, I was working in Goa, uh, in the Goan market uh, for the uh, for uh, Paul John. Uh, that's even before it was launched in Goa, because we had the wines. Uh, uh, we also do premium wines in India. So mm -hmm. that was uh, the portfolio that uh, I was working with. And 2015 is when I moved to the UK, looking after UK market first. And now I look after Northern European markets for the brand. Wow. So what was that like coming? Exactly. I don't know. It's just as you said, I don't know how it, why did I move to the UK? But <laughs> <laughs> especially with so the weather, I'm like. You had enough of the sun? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you were like, I need something a bit wetter, a bit damper, a bit greyer. I know I'll move to England. That'll, that'll treat me. So, so what's England like for you? That's yeah. it's. Uh, I I live in uh, I live in London. Uh, so I I mean just outside Heathrow Airport. That's how easy I would say. That's because of the traveling part of it. It makes my life easier. Just twenty minutes to the to the airport and take a flight and okay. you know. Uh, yeah. So although I live in uh, uh, live here now, uh, since I look after European markets, I'm not much in London to be honest with you. Sure. <laughs> How often do you get home to go uh, over the once, you know, over a normal year? Once or twice a year, to be honest. Uh, I would do once a year when yeah. we have our annual sales meet, uh, and then uh, during mostly during December for uh, the holidays. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. My friends and family are. are yeah, are, it's been one. Yeah, their friends and family back in in in, in India in Goa for us, uh, but I've still got some friends back from Goa who work here. So keep okay. uh, keep meeting up with them and hanging around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of the things I've thoroughly enjoyed with our company is in a normal year, getting home four or five times a year, getting to see my mom, getting to see my brother, yeah. getting to see friends over there. It's it's nice to know that, that that's available. Yeah. And, and one of the hardest things of this lockdown is thinking, 
you know, for the rest of 2020, there's no way I'm getting home. Then what's 2021 looking like? Will I get home yeah. in, in any part of that? So it's I didn't quite realize how much I relied on getting home until I couldn't go. Yeah. But you know, I, I wouldn't move back home. I, I, I do like the sun. I do like warm temperatures. I do like not being rained on seven days no. a week. <laughs> No, I miss I miss home, and a lot of people will say, "Where do I mean, Shilton? Do you plan of going back to to Goa? You know, at some point in the future?" I'm like, "Yeah, definitely." <laughs> <laughs> I thought it might be rude to ask that question in the interview, and so I avoided it. So I'm glad you volunteered it from other people. Uh, hey, welcome to the country. Yeah, when are you going home? It's got a certain connotation to it. Uh, <laughs> no, especially especially with the weather's here, and uh, no, I mean uh, this is the uh, longest I think in the last five years I've been in the house, three months in the house. Uh, especially you. for a person like me who has been traveling most of the time, and three months in the in the <laughs> house. But I did well; I was okay. Uh, and so, mm. some uh, if someone says uh, a lot of the, many times during interviews, someone will say, "You know, Shilton, how are you doing with the lockdown? It must be very different for you." I'm like, well, I stayed five years in the Middle East, so I'm okay with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've you've uh, you've taken to Instagram during this lockdown as well. We see a lot of very fun things coming mm. from you. Where some days I'm like, oh, he's he's having a good laugh, yeah. and then other days I think he might be losing his mind. Uh, we might need an intervention. <laughs> Do you feel that? I, yeah, I do feel it. I mean, it was just again uh, working. I was uh, all this while it was work from home, but there's nothing much because of uh, you know businesses being shut down, and there's no much emails as well to respond back to. Uh, and this is when I was like, okay, let me look at this and uh, uh, I will just go out and find the right content to, to make it nice and funny and put it together. And there are so many stuff there, but the right one, uh, you know, to, to, to be very creative and be funny on the same time. <laughs> they, that's but, why, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's something which is that is one of the things, and uh, I will never thought I, mean, I, I never thought of doing it. But then me and my friend got together, and we just opened up a YouTube channel as well. Uh, so that's something where we just pull in, uh, just like just like how we are doing this, uh, we pull in a, 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 a artist, a musician from Goa, uh, and bring him online as well, and we go live with it. So it's kind of fun. Oh. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, what, what's the name of the YouTube channel or how can we find the YouTube channel? Yeah. It's just called as Go and Tunes with a Tipple. So Go and Tunes. Go and Tunes with a Tipple. Yeah. Fantastic. It's, uh, we've done, we've done uh, it's been 30 days actually today. It's been 30 days oh, wow. today. Uh, it's been a month for a channel. We've done about <laughs> seven episodes. Um, it's something which we thought because my friend is a musician and uh, he... It's like he comes up with this music video, but nobody knows their story. So we said, you know what, let's bring him on and, and listen to their story of how he came up with his entire music journey and stuff mm. like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yeah, we'll def go in tunes with a tipple. Yeah, yep. definitely <laughs> check that, that. Person personally, personally speaking, seeing your videos has brightened my day every time. I'll, I'll be on Facebook or whatever. And I'm scrolling, scrolling, politics, politics, ugh, 
whiskey bottles. Yep, I've seen enough whiskey bottles. Move on. Cats. Okay, I ba- like cats. Baking. Cats. Don't 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 miss the baking part of it. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> Sourdough. <laughs> and and then and then I see your video and I say, hold on, I've got to pause. I need to pay attention to this because I need a smile, right? So you you've helped keep me sane, and I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I, I got some very good feedback on that, and that's the whole idea. I mean, if I can put a smile on somebody, then that's making my day. Like it's 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 worth putting up that video. And someone says, Shilton, uh, you know, you made my day, and it's like I enjoyed it, and that makes me happy because you know it looks like okay, it's worth putting up that video up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well done. I, I want to get back again. To Paul mm-hmm. John in 2000, that, that year of 2012, and you moving to London in 2015. So here you are in London in 2015, it's now 2020. Across those five years, how have you seen your markets evolve along with Paul John? Was it very difficult at the beginning? Are you finding it easier now, or maybe just a bit before? COVID, like how has your job changed as Paul John has grown in popularity and notoriety, etc.? Well, it has changed a lot. Uh, when I came in in 2015, uh, we were having like, I remember it was all I had, the data with me was about 23 or 30 accounts which had Paul John mm. uh, listed. Uh, and then if you look at it today, we are on about 250 or 300 accounts. Wow. So in this five years time, that's how it has grown widely. Talking about a brand being accepted as well, uh, because it was me. I mean, now I've got a colleague, uh, Craig, who looks after the UK market. Mm. But before that, it was just me running around the country you know, with, <laughs> with a bag full of bag full of whiskeys and knocking doors. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it has changed a lot. Uh, doing shows or tastings across the UK, which I start, which I started moving around. You will get people saying, "I don't. I didn't never thought India will make whiskey, or you know, I never knew about this. This is new to me." Or maybe saying, "I only heard of one brand before, but I don't know you guys." Mm. Um, and then uh, me, you know, introducing them to the brand. From there, if you look at it today, uh, you'll see very familiar faces coming to you and come back and say, "Hey, Shilton, how are you? I've got. I've tried the brilliance." Um, can I try the bold or, you know, I have a bottle of this, My someone gifted it to me, uh, I've tried it, it's a lovely whiskey, can I try the range? So people mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. you know, getting a very, I mean, we are getting a very positive uh, feedback and people want to try more and more. Sometimes there are people who come to you and say, oh, I've tried your range, do you have something new? <laughs> we can't be having new every, every festival. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So it yeah, has, I only saw you six weeks ago. <laughs> 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 it is. It has changed a lot, and plus, uh, even we have, uh, oh, you know, ex, um, expanded the range as well now, so that uh, to to have a whiskey, a different whiskey for the people. So frame the range for us. That's another thing I was I was covering in my research. There, there's there's peated, there's unpeated, there's cast strength, there's not cast strength. Did I even see a, a 46 and a 40? So could you just frame that for us? Uh, so we have an entry-level uh, whiskey, which is called as Nirvana, uh, which is uh, just came out in the UK actually one year back, uh, which is at 40% ABV. Again, it's more of a uh, stepping stone to the range 
uh, or more of uh, entry level if someone is new to the whiskey that will be something to start sure. after that we have uh, the flagships the flagships are uh, three of them all three at 46% ABV mm-hmm. brilliance which is unpeated edited which is lightly peated and then there is bold which is peated mm. okay after that we had uh, the select cask which are 55% ABV, so they are big-bodied uh, whiskey, uh, which one is unpeated, and the other, uh, which is classic, and then there is peated, as in the name itself is peated select cask, which is a peated whiskey. Mm-hmm. And we have just recently launched uh, two new expressions, which you can see at the back, uh, uh, are the Oloroso and PX, mm-hmm. which are very new. Uh, we, I mean, it came out over here somewhere in February, March, but we didn't get much time to take it out for festivals because of, of what's going on. Uh, but uh, Oloroso and on? PX. Yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just losing tracks of days, I guess. I don't even know if it's a Monday or a Tuesday today. <laughs> yes, well, right. Uh, so we have the Oloroso and the PX uh, uh, adding to the range. Uh, that is at 48%. This is the, the range, and plus we have limited editions uh, coming in every time. We have a Christmas edition, which comes out uh, during December. Then we have the Zodiac series, which we had launched, uh, or maybe a single cask. Okay, so lots of things going on and lots yeah. of ways to explore the, yeah. the brand as well. Yeah. Um, would, how would you, one of the things we like to do, you know, as independent bottlers presenting casks, we'll often talk about a distillery house style. And I know what I've got in my mind whenever I think of Paul John. When you're doing tastings or you're pouring at festivals, how do you describe the house style of Paul John? Okay, it's uh, if you look at if you look at the range itself, as I said, there's they're all different whiskies. Michael, our master distiller, wanted to create something which is very unique and different compared to any other whiskey. If I had to just pour one whiskey from the range, if someone comes to me, many times you find people saying, oh, "Can I just try one?" You know, mm. um, I will. I will go for the classic select cask, which is unpeated, a lot of tropical fruits, a bit of saltiness in it because we are very close to the sea, so you get a lot of this salty character coming out uh, mm. uh, from from the whiskey. And um, mm. classic will be the one because of Goa, you know. Tropical fruity, yeah, fruitiness sure. coming. Okay, that's that's my exact takeaway for Paul John is it's got those lovely, delicious, rich tropical fruits. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, finding releases that harken back to that aspect uh, is is really key for me right now. Yeah. And and I know you know one thing that that we've thoroughly enjoyed was the the Paul John that went Caden heads. And, yeah, exactly. Know, for that for that reason, it was just so rich, unctuous, tropical. Really, really delicious. I uh, poured it for the my whiskey society that I run up in the Palouse. They were floored. It was their first experience of Paul John, and they were absolutely floored by it. Um, so it's great to hear things like that. The Cadenets one, I don't know if uh, which one is the one you had, if it's uh, the, the, it's the, the tall bottle. One, right? Yeah, it was the warehouse selection in the square bottle. Yeah. Okay, okay. Okay, that's yeah. yeah. The yep. warehouse. Yes, yeah. I saw it over your shoulder earlier as well. <laughs> yeah, the warehouse selection one is um, this. This was a batch uh, uh, 
I think it was 25 casks wetted together. So it's not even a single cask. So it was a batch sent across to the, uh, to Caddenheads. Uh, oh, yeah. And oh, okay. uh, very funny enough, that was the first time we were sending something like that. And uh, instead of sending IBC containers, uh, which we do now, this one was sent in generic bottles. So imagine oh, you're sending them in bottles, just normal bottles, and then the guys at Caddenheads uh-huh. have to empty all of them in the cask. <laughs> That's that's a that's a a lot of work to do. (laughs) Twenty five casks worth of whiskey. So assume two hundred bottles times twenty. That is a lot. No, yeah, uh, yeah, much more, much more. I guess. Oh wow! Um, No, I mean two hundred bottles per cask. Two hundred bottles per cask. If they were filling it to the to the level, you could be looking at two fifty. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, so I remember going to the Caddenheads warehouse and tasting from that cast, tasting it blind, and it was. Were you were you with me, Jason, or was that on a different trip? I wasn't. You weren't. Nope, I wasn't. Okay, and nope. and so I was with Mark Watt and with uh, with Cameron, and we're tasting things blind. And I've got to say, I am absolutely shit when it comes to tasting anything blind. I, I can't. I can name Springbank maybe and, and that's it. But they, so they poured me the Paul John and I'm nosing it, I'm tasting it and I said, okay, this is, I don't think that this is Scotch whiskey. There, there's something else going on that I hadn't tasted in any single malt I'm familiar with. And they said, you're good. Yep, this, this is not. And, and then they said, can you figure out who it is? I said, no, I, I can tell you it's not Scotch whiskey, but I can't tell you who it is. <laughs> but I can tell you that I love it. And so they told me it was a Paul John, and I think I may have bought six bottles, you know, off, off the bat. But what struck me about this, and it gets to what you were saying, how, how your distiller, Michael, wanted to create something that was totally different, and this was totally different to anything that, that, that I've tasted. Obvi- obviously a single malt, but totally different. Now, you had mentioned all of your ingredients are 100% from India. Can you talk about your ingredients and how they create your flavor profile, how they construct the DNA of your whiskeys? The barley that we use is, uh, is, uh, we don't uh, grow it down in Goa. So that's uh, only up north at the foothills of Himalayas, basically. Uh, And Rajasthan is the place where we source the barley from. I will say, if you look at Rajasthan, if you just Google up and see, Rajasthan is a desert, hmm. okay? And that's where you get the best quality Bali. That's that's another that's another surprising fact over there. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. The Bali grows in Rajasthan and we ship it down. So the Bali is very different. When I say different, we use six-row Bali. Uh, okay. Uh, and we don't use the two-row Bali for our whiskeys, all of them. So six row is uh, like a beer. I think beer barley is also a six yeah. row. Okay. Yeah, it's also called as beer barley as well, yeah, and yeah. Okay. Um, uh, that's what we use. And that's again, it's more huskier, uh, and uh, the the six row barley is very high on protein and low on starch. So, mm. you know, uh, even if you try a new make coming from Paul John, it's nice and fruity and lighter. You can. Uh, you know, soft on the palate, huh. and that's how. Even if you look at the whiskeys which which we have in the in Paul John, like even at forty six percent, it's quite creamy and oily character, which uh, oh, yeah. which you'll find in the character. That's uh, 
even if you look at the one you tried in uh, the Karen Hits one as well, it's got that creamy, uh, creamy characters, sweet, uh, mm-hmm. sweet uh, texture. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's where we get the barley from, and we take it down to Goa, where it's been distilled, matured, and bottled in Goa itself. Mm-hmm. The water itself is from Goa. We only only two things that come from out of India will be uh, the cask, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, American oak and uh, the to uh, make the peated whiskey, we ship the peat over from Scotland. <laughs> uh, okay, that makes okay. sense. Is it? <coughs> yeah. Is it? I, I imagine it's Highland peat and not Isla peat. So we ship it from two different regions in Scotland. One is Isla and Highland, and uh, also from the Highlands. So if you look at Bold. Uh, which is the flagships uh, uh, at 46%, we use only Isla Petia in, in, in that one. Oh, so that's interesting. <clears throat> it's, it's quite in, uh, uh, I mean, if you look at the, if you try the bold itself, you'll get uh, the, on the nose itself, you'll get that PT character coming out. Mm. But at the same time, you'll find that Paul John fruitiness coming in as well. So it's a combination of both. Uh, it's not even heavy peated, but it's kind of a lot of people say, I don't like peated whiskey, but I can, you know, this is something which I can yeah, go for yeah. kind of a thing. Because it's at the same time, it, it maintains the Paul John DNA in it, which is that sweet, uh, fruity character coming out. And the peated select cask, which is at 55, which is more, uh, uh, which uses a peat uh, from both the regions, but more on the highlands. Mm. So we'll find that more of that earthy maritime character rather than the Isla style of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, sure. To maintain or retain, I should say, the, the, the fruity style of your whiskey, are you doing, are you doing anything special in, in your fermentation? Are you doing extra long ferments to increase fruity or floral characteristics? What do you do with your distillation? You know, do you have specific cuts you look for to, to try to target certain flavors? A few different things what uh, Michael does will be, the, if you look at the pot stills as well, the line arms, they, they go higher for us rather than going down. That's to interact, uh, for more interaction with the copper. Yeah. So that, uh, it's been, uh, it's again, it's 100% Indian uh, uh, copper as well. It's been made in India, wow. the, the pot stills as well. So it's nothing that comes out, uh, doesn't come out. Fermentation, again, uh, Michael does it for 72 hours. Okay. Yep. So 60, 60 plus, uh, it left for another 10 hours or so, just so that it, you get that more uh, more intense character coming out from it. So it just leaves it over there for another extra 10 hours. Okay. And I, I apologize. Uh, I'm a typical American who doesn't understand world geography. But is, is Goa uh, situated in higher altitudes or lower altitudes? Lower. Okay. Lower. Yeah, I'm just curious, you know, what sort of pressure may may affect your overall production. Okay. The water source as well, if you look at it, uh, we use natural spring water. I mean, we we have, at the distillery itself, uh, we have bore wells where you can just draw the water. Uh, For the the whiskeys, we use the water from the river by, from the river, close by River Sal. Mm-hmm. And uh, a very classic example is every house, for example, in, in Goa will, will be having a well in, in, in their compound where you can just draw the water and it's drinking yeah. water. 
So water water has never been an issue for us because we are close to the sea. Okay, and then and then in distillation, are, are you you know one of the things we always do going around the distilleries in Scotland? Oh, and, and what do you take your your head cut at and your heart cut? Are, are, are you are you able to tell us? Is that is that information that you're willing to share? Well, not something which I that's something which Michael will be a better person to check with because of the cut, yeah, not not, not me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not a problem. For for going into cask, clearly one of the things we know, no matter how poor Joshua is with his geography, <laughs> one thing we know <laughs> is that you're seeing a high angel share. Yeah. And so when that new mate goes in, how quickly are you seeing colour on that? How quickly are you getting <laughs> some of those wood flavours coming in? And then what's the struggle like for battling angel share volume loss versus colour, versus flavour, maturation. What's, what's that whole struggle like? So, uh, again, that's another thing which makes it different, uh, uh, makes us very different than any other whiskey. First of all, the new make that we get is at 63% ABV. So we, we don't get a higher uh, new make. 63 ah. is straight away uh, filled up. We fill the cask at 63% itself. Uh, we have three warehouses at the location out of which one is an underground cellar. That's right, I heard about so, this, yes. This is, this is where it gets more interesting because when Michael started off, it was like, uh, it's very new, you know, you, you've never done, you don't know how the whiskey will be. So we just had, uh, had two styles. One is above the ground and let's have one underground because something will work. <laughs> that was how, that's how we started doing it. <clears throat> but uh, Wow. The whiskies itself are very different uh, when it comes out. Uh, if you try the classic select cask, for that we use whiskies uh, which are from the underground cellar. Hmm. We have a total of about 17,000 casks today. Wow. 3,500 are underground. So uh, there's no much of a temperature difference in both. It's 23 and 25 degrees only. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, at the warehouse. But between, between underground and, and overground? Yeah, Amazing. yeah. 23 and 25 yes. centigrade? Yeah, yeah, centigrade. <laughs> so there's not much of a, of a difference between two. But I think, uh, but, but the main thing is uh, the ones above the ground will be more in contact with the saltiness in the air because of the humidity. The humidity okay. shoots up to 60, 70. I mean, I think it was even 95 a few days back. So that's how humid it can get uh, in Goa. Angels wow, share, that, yeah. You're just swimming through the air at that point. <laughs> like, that's just. I mean, it's funny. It's funny. I lived five years in the Middle East, but then I was still okay. But then every time I used to go down for a vacation into Goa, I'm like, I'm feeling hot. You know, I can't take this hit. <laughs> <laughs> so the angel share itself, we have uh, eight to ten percent uh, angel share. Uh, okay. So we lose a lot of a uh, uh, lot of whiskey. Um, mm -hmm. that's how uh, with the samples as well uh, whenever we are doing any if we get a sample of a single cask to, for any indie bottler coming across the pressure is that it will change in three months time the liquid changes and yep. uh, you can't leave it for a long time in the in the cask because then if you by the time you bottle it the liquid will be something different and you someone will come back and say well this is not what i tried <laughs> <laughs> so that that happens yep. that happens with the with the faster uh, extraction so the extraction rate for us is 3 to 4 times faster than scotland sure so you get a sure. lot coming out from the from the wood in a, in a shorter time 
But yeah, yep. there are there. As I said, it's the the good thing is that you mature it quicker. You get more flavors coming in quicker. Mm-hmm. But the the bad thing is that you lose a lot of whiskey as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. G- given that distillation started eight years ago, do you have casks that are sitting at eight years old, or are you losing too much volume? Are you getting too much wood influence in that time? What is you know? Paul John like as it's getting older. So it is uh, the the range that we have. Uh, there's no age statement on it, but most of the whiskies are uh, somewhere about six to eight years old, uh, which are bottled. Uh, the, sele- okay. the select cask are uh, selected cask uh, put together about hundred cask put together in a batch. These are seven and eight years old whiskey. Hmm. Of course, there will be one or two casks somewhere where Michael wants to see how it's gonna be. You know, uh, after after we are not that old. A lot of guys will say. Will you ever have a 20 years old whiskey? <laughs> well, there won't be much left in the cask to start with. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you can bottle it. It'll look just like this. <laughs> <laughs> so that is something which is uh, something which is uh, losing a lot of whiskey as in with the evaporation. Uh, uh, Eight to ten percent is we uh, we we do, but. Uh, yeah, there's 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 a good thing about it as well <laughs> that you mature it quicker. That's exactly what has happened with the with the one you tried with Cadenhills uh, as well because it's been five years old. Uh, it's a five years old whiskey matured in Goa, and then they leave it for another year or two in Scotland. Right. In 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 another cask. So something very interestingly, what will happen there is it got a lot of extraction done in Goa. But once you leave it in another cask in Scotland with the colder climates, it just it gets more time for the flavors to marry uh, and re- yeah. and react. So that's how you know the one you tried. Uh, that's going. My bottle is going down too fast as well. So that's nice and creamy <laughs> and juicy kind of a whiskey, which you know feel like drinking more of it. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, it goes down very easily. Very easily. <laughs> Do you do you find a different? You know, I, I understand there's just a, a two degree difference between underground warehousing and above ground warehousing, right? Twenty three degrees Celsius to twenty five degrees Celsius. Do you find that 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 subtle change in temperature affects how your whiskey matures? Do you find the flavor profiles to be different enough? Yeah, I mean every cask is is uh, is different as well. We don't have to. Uh, Michael doesn't move the cask, uh, uh, move the cask, rotate it. Uh, but it's been revisited after every six months' time just to check on and keep a track on the on the profile, because I mean seventeen thousand cask we have today, which is going to be twenty soon. Uh, seventeen thousand cask revisiting after every six months is is not easy as well. <laughs> You know, and, and and checking them. So I wonder how much he's been tasting every day <laughs> to keep. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, yeah. We we do it as you said. Uh, every every cask will give us a different profile. We used to earlier use a lot of uh, Jack Daniel cask before, because mm. uh, uh, what we thought Michael thought was he that will give the right profile because Jack Daniel uh, as they are big in production. Sure. You uh, uh, and then uh, it's easy to get their cask, but uh, recently we have uh, with the we with the tie up with Cesarek we have sourced some Buffalo Trace as well. So okay. that's nice. the, that's a new cask which have been just shipped across into India. 
Yeah, and so I was going to ask this question. Is there a cooperage that you work with in India, or when you receive casks, you're receiving them still full, still intact, with a little bit of liquid in them? There's no liquid in that, but it's all intact uh, as it is. We the, the only thing is that we redo it sometimes uh, if it is damaged or, you know, that's all. But we don't have a full cooperage at, at the on-site. Okay. But you've got someone on site who can do minor repairs and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 uh, that is uh, going on. I mean, as and when there is some damage or repairing work done, then there is a guy who does it, but not the full cast. They all come in intact as full. Got it. You know, I was I was thinking the other day about our. Uh, we've got a friend uh, Raj Sabarwal who is the importer <laughs> of Amrut into the U.S. And when he started. You know, just just getting labels approved by the TTB here in the U.S. that mentions, you know, the three words Indian single malt or Indian single malt whiskey, it really it confused our government. They 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 simply didn't know what to make of it. And you know, now he's established the brand. Uh, Amra has become fairly big. Paul John is now becoming fairly big. People are understanding. Indian single malt. But I wonder, again, do you, do you still have struggles you go up against? I, I remember at the, the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about whiskey in India, and before the laws had changed, it could be made from molasses and be, and be called whiskey. Like, do you ever run into that where, where people say, are you sure this is whiskey? Or, or that's not even an issue at all these days. As you said it yourself, uh, the brand has has grown a lot, uh, but it's quite funny if there is someone who's been to India a long time back, and he has tried one of those whiskies over there, and when I tell him again saying this is an Indian whiskey, he said, "Oh no, I've tried an Indian whiskey before. I don't want to try another one." So, <laughs> but then, then, then it will be more about explaining. Okay, well, you have tried something else, and you have not tried this one. So this is a single malt, and then you know, explain the whole process. But people have heard about it, about the molasses-based spirit uh, used. And, you know, a lot of guys do know. Some of them will say, I don't want to try it at all, straight away. <laughs> yeah. uh, mm-hmm. But then you need to explain, saying this is a single malt, you know, and, and it's done very differently. It's not the same thing what you had tried before. <laughs> yeah. You know, it it reminds me of, of Japanese whiskey you know, before 2013, right? Before Jim Murray made his big statement about Yamazaki sherry cask. And, you know, I was drinking Japanese whiskey in the mid mid to late 2000s, and I would tell people about the whiskey, and they would say, what is that, made from rice? And they would say it in a way that was negative. And now everybody knows Japanese whiskey. It's become the biggest thing that there is. So it's nice to see that people can evolve past that. But it, it either takes a name like Jim Murray or just hard work from good people like yourself just being out in front of everybody, pouring whiskey in glass, saying, shut up, stick your nose in the glass, take a sip, you're going to love this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it has changed a lot. I mean, uh, uh, definitely, even the Indian market itself, the big thing over there will be a lot of people will be drinking scotch whiskey before, you know, and it's a imported scotch whiskey. These are the three words that people were looking for. 
which has changed mm-hmm. a, a lot recently. For us itself, uh, India is a big market today. It's growing. Mm-hmm. And if, as I said, if you're looking at the numbers itself uh, in India, there is a big scope there. So it, the, the market has grown for what from what it was before. It's a growing market for us. But again, it was, uh, as, as you said, you know, it was more about imported Scotch whiskey. I still remember I was doing a tasting at, uh, with, uh, uh, in, in Goa itself. And uh, my professor who was in there, he said, oh, Shilton, you're working for this brand now. It's a lovely whiskey. But uh, I, you know what? I can't buy it and, and take it home for for my for my functions at home. I said, "Why? What's wrong with that?" Oh no! When my guests come in, they will say, "Why are you giving us a local brand? Why not an imported Scotch whiskey?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I I I never knew what what a, uh, I mean. This is something which is very new as well as a Glencairn glass. Uh, it's not something which is used. Mm. Uh, uh, everywhere I figured out I saw this glass first time when I started working with the distillery and moved over here but something which is not uh, it's more about uh, drinking culture as well it's whiskey and it, it's like a it's like a highball whiskey and soda water okay that's the trend so is it is it partly enjoying the taste of the alcohol but then also looking for refreshment it's more about i would say it's a lot about refreshment uh soda water or or on the rocks uh even if you go up with the with the bottle uh on and give it to someone and he'll say oh well i'll have a have it with a coke as well that's because of Mm. what they have been drinking it's just a culture and then you explain to them, well, you know what, try it out over here this way first. And uh, I, I know my friends living in uh, living over here in London from Goa itself. Even if I sit down with them with a bottle of Paul John, they're like looking for the Coke to pour in. I said, no, you better buy something else, not this one. <laughs> yeah, if you want this friendship to continue, you'll put the Coke in its own glass, yeah, please. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm over here pouring uh, Paul John is because I can talk to you about the brand and tell you about it and enjoy the flavors. I mean, you can have it, but then let's have something else instead. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe when I'm not, maybe when I'm not in the room. <laughs> uh, that's interesting to me, though. Listening to you talk, you know, we're asking you the questions about, well, what's the international market looking like, and here are the struggles in the U.S. and the U.K. It's interesting for you within Goa to be trying to overcome the dismissal of a local whiskey, <laughs> you know. And again, for Joshua and I sitting here in the United States. You know, there's such a push towards local. There's such a push to knowing your beer maker, whiskey maker, farmer. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting that there's still that reputation around imported Scotch whiskey that would fly in the face of. But this is made right here. You could take ownership yeah. of this distillery right here. It's it's really interesting to hear you tell that story, Shilton. There are, there are many brands. I mean, uh, one of just to name a few, Black and White and Wet Sixty Nine, for example, are yeah. big brands in India mm-hmm. today. You, mm-hmm. I, I don't see a Wet Sixty Nine in the UK itself nowadays. It's so difficult to find a bottle of that over here on the shelf. But they are big brands in India. They, they sell a lot in in, in 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 the local market. So yep. well, it's quite educational for us as a brand as well to get people into telling them about and let, making them try and do tasting sessions. But the brand has picked up a lot now. I mean, Nirvana as well as an entry level at that 40% is, uh, is, 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 what a, is the top seller, I would say, right now in India. So, wow. yeah, to be 
there are many factors, price conscious market as well. So you have to look at the pricing of what you get to. I was, you definitely can't get people converting from one pound a bottle and make them buy 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 a thirty pound a bottle. That's not happening in a day's time. It's a big ass. <laughs> it really is a big ass. Um, it, it, just to just to pivot back to something we were talking about within the line and the the sherry editions. Um, one of the questions I, I wanted to ask at the time, but I didn't. Now it's mm-hmm. still reverberating. Are those finishes? Are those full maturations? You know, given what we've talked about with the rate of maturation, I can't imagine it takes very long to pull a lot of sherry out of the wood. Mm. Um, and so can you talk to those a little bit for us? Yep. Uh, so the, the two new ones which are out here are... Uh, I've also been looking at them over your shoulder, and so the question has not gone away. Seven years, seven years old. So five years in American Oak and two years in Oloroso for oh, okay. this one. Oh, oh, as much as two years, okay. Yeah, two years Color. for that... <clears throat> Two, two years, yeah. That color for two years is a lot coming out because yeah. of the extraction. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. We had done one before. We, uh, Michael uh, had tried one cherry cask just to see when it started. And it was filled with a four-year-old liquid, left it for three years. And we, ha- we got 252 bottles out of it, which was shipped across one cask only. So it, wa- it went out globally. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it was sold out. So this is something which we had tried and see how it works for Paul John. And seeing that yeah. it was well accepted and you know people liked it, then that's how we ended up getting more of Oloroso and PX. Okay. Um, was that pulled from a hogshead? Yes. And you're talking the, about the, yeah, that's, bottles being left. Okay. The two, 252 bottles, that was a sherry butt. It's a 30 years old sherry butt. It was a sherry butt? Yeah, yeah. Was it filled to the to the top? Was it completely filled? It couldn't have been completely filled. It should be because it was filled with. It was left in there for three years' time. That's wow! Pretty what much an amazing yeah. amount of loss from that yeah. sherry butt. Holy cow! That was just to see and how it works. You know, it's something yeah. which is to see how the how the how how the liquid from at our distillery will work. Uh, I don't think there are any intentions of doing a full sherry maturation with that, with the way it goes. In. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's it should be mainly with the finishes. Uh, that's what we are planning. So yeah. we have just sourced some uh, virgin oak as well. So Michael is working on virgin oaks, and uh, there are some Portuguese wine cask as well. In yeah, some some port oh, okay. that is working on as well. It'll be interesting when you mention the the new oak. It certainly makes me think of conditions in Kentucky. Uh, and Kentucky in the height of the summer can experience angel share loss around what you're describing yeah. uh, in Goa. Is your climate, is is it you know, plateau for the full 12 months of the year? Do you have peaks and troughs oh. in your climate? There, there, there are, Could you just describe it? There just are, my well, there are, there are four seasons that we go through. <laughs> and and okay. with the temperatures, okay. it's, it, it's like it get, gets hot, it gets hotter, and then it gets hottest kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so just like Scotland. Okay, <laughs> so, I'm following. No, we, we, <laughs> we get wet, and then wetter, <laughs> and then wetter. Okay. Uh, but there are, there are four seasons. I mean, uh, it will be, uh, uh, now it is monsoon when it's heavy, heavy rains there. Uh, then mm. uh, October, November, December will be getting, uh, we call it as winter, for 19 degrees <laughs> and 20 degrees. So oh, that's okay. kind of, that's, 
That's why uh, <laughs> November, December is a time when a lot of tourists will come in to go as well for that climate. Yeah. So 1920 yeah, and sense. March, April, May is uh, summer. So that's very hot, uh, like uh, temperatures going up to 40 degrees and with a humidity oh. of uh, 90. Oh, uh, that's, wow. yeah. So it, oh, gosh. it keeps changing. Oh, okay. The weathers are, uh, the temperatures are keep changing for us. Yeah. I, I was in okay. Tel Aviv <laughs> last year. Uh, and then we went to the Dead Sea as well. I was with, uh, you know, the good people at Milk and Honey. Oh, and Tal and the guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with Tal <laughs> and, and all them. And it was June. And so in Tel Aviv, it was anywhere between 35 and 38 degrees. And I think the humidity was at around 7 million, somewhere around there. I, I could be wrong. <laughs> and then down in the Dead Sea, it was about 45 degrees. And it, it was just, you could see, I think they call it the Dead Sea because so many people died. Died too. <laughs> heat exhaustion there. Um, but I, I, I have a question. Let, let me just quickly throw this, let me throw this in. I have been, I've had a tour group on Aaron in September and it has been 16 degrees centigrade, one six. Yeah. And we have all collectively said, this is nice. It's really warmed up today, hasn't it? It's really warmed up, and that's sixteen. The thought of your, the thought of your nineteen in the winter just boggles my mind. Absolutely crazy. So, okay, I just wanted to get that that comparison out there. So, carry on, Joshua. So, uh, I did have a question, and, and hopefully, I I pose it correctly. I get a lot of people asking me as, as an independent bottler and they say, they say, Joshua, how come, how come you guys focus mostly on Scotch whiskey? You're an American. Shouldn't you be doing more American whiskey? I mean, you're an American. You should have some American pride uh, and more pride, not American pride, but pride about your spirits made, made in your country. And my response to them is I fell in love with Scotch whiskey that and I'm, proud of the whiskeys that I've selected with Jason, to me that's all that matters. I prefer Scotch whiskey. But yourself, you know, having grown up in India and now representing uh, a high-end single malt brand from India, do you have that sense of, of pride about that spirit being made in your country and, and you can be, uh, you know, a representative or a spokesperson for that Indian product? Yes, definitely. And me, for me, especially me being from Goa itself, it's more about, you know, I get more passionate about it, to be honest. Mm. Uh, and I think that's my driving force as well. Uh, a lot of, many times I will listen to this comment saying, uh, Shintan, you travel a lot. Do you ever stay home? Hmm. You know, that's a lot of things you're doing in, in, a, in, a time, in, in a week's time. But then I think that's more about passion and for me to get out there and talking to somebody about our own local brand, which is made in Goa, and talking about the history and what the place is about. So I get I, I, I get more passionate when I start talking about Paul John, I feel. <laughs> so, what so yeah, definitely, I feel, I feel very proud about it. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. How, how is Goa different from other parts of India? Like, is it... Is it wildly different? I mean, because you're not the first it's, person I've met from Goa to talk about a pride from being from Goa. So I'm really curious to know. So Goa is, uh, if you, when someone is there, it's like you are 
in India, but not exactly in India. You get that kind of feel. It's you feel like as if you are somewhere in the Caribbean or somewhere uh, in in Europe uh, because of the vibe of it. Uh, it has got a lot of Portuguese uh, vibe to it. The Portuguese were in Goa uh, till 1961, so that's been from from the 15th century till 1961. There's been a long time they have been in oh, India. Wow. Okay. Uh, and uh, even India, for example, uh, got independence from the British in 1947, but the Portuguese were in Goa till 61, <laughs> still there. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, the uh, the culture the food the buildings uh, across uh, they'll find a lot of portuguese uh, houses which are like 200 years old you know wow. so uh, built built by uh, by that so it looks more of uh, the names as in almeida for example shilton almeida that's portuguese yeah. so you find de souza fernandes uh, the food again like fish and and pork is is main, is big thing like chorizo for example is a big thing in goa <laughs> <laughs> wow. that's deep influence it really is I, i grew up the town that i grew up in it's a small town but per capita it's got the largest portuguese population in america and and so there's plenty of almidas that i've grown up with and silvas <laughs> and de silva and susa and de susa and, and there are still still a lot of people in goa who will uh, who speak portuguese even today for example my grandmother is to speak portuguese and uh, there are uh, there are like your yeah, old property old house papers which if you find one they will be in portuguese wow. yeah, so that's yeah And then you have to literally go out and go for translation. As long as I see my name in it, okay, I, this is my house. I'm okay with that. That's all I can read. <laughs> That's all I can read, and I I figured out I've got my name on there. I am happy. <laughs> oh gosh, I realize we right now we've taken up about an hour and a half of your time. I, I had a closing question that I wanted to toss your way, but. Jason, I, I didn't want to cut you off. And also, Shilton, I didn't want to cut you off if there's anything you wanted to talk about. No, I'm good. Yeah, all good. Uh, no, I was going to do what you're about to do, was just start wrapping up in the interest of time. Perfect. Okay. Now, imagine a world in which we are not being plagued by plagues, right? Where we can travel freely and just rewind the clock a few months as if none of this is, has ever happened. What are you excited about for Paul John in the future and whiskey from India in the future? Because I know you mentioned there's more distilleries popping up. What has you excited? What are you looking forward to? For us itself, for Paul John, with the new expressions coming in and uh, with a wider range now, one thing which is quite, a, uh, I would like to say here, is uh, with the whole range, we have got a whiskey for different palate, if you look at it that way. There is something which is lighter. We also have lightly peated, and there is peated. So there's a wide, with more options in the range mm -hmm. for everybody. Uh, with that, with the new sherry additions as well in it, which is for people who like the sweeter character whiskey. So with that, uh, with the Portuguese ones, Portuguese wine cask coming in uh, finishes, and I'm quite excited, excited to see that. Mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, Uh, well, again, I, I always say the Portuguese were there for a long time in India, but sadly they never left any cask behind for us. 
<laughs> so we have to go back to Portugal to get some again. So that's that's so sad. You should you should stay there for a few hundred years and see how they like it. <laughs> <laughs> so there are more exciting things coming up, and I would really like to see the the new distilleries as well. Um, uh, example: Amrut is based in Bangalore. And in Bangalore, and uh, again, different location gives a very different whiskey. Uh, yeah. There is uh, there is Rampur coming from up north. Uh, the character of that whiskey will be very different uh, because of this. Well, it's different style of making, anyways. But uh, I will personally like to see uh, more coming out and also trying out different uh, styles and see how it turns up to be. Thank you, sir. Just, just one last little thing that I, w- I want to throw in there. Yeah. You, you had mentioned some new distilleries popping up. Do many of them have stock already? Are they are they selling whiskeys already, or are they still very young and still working on their products? They well, they are. Uh, as for what I understand, uh, the Solon, which was uh, the first distillery, which was set up in the 18th century by Edward Dyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I have not tried it, but I have come across it that they have launched a single malt already coming back into the market mm. uh, but the most of these companies are have been in the in the market for a long time but maybe not making a single malt okay. for example us I mean, even at John Distillery's the same story we started off in 92 making whiskeys for the Indian market yeah. and then said let's start a single malt so that should be that's more I think that will be everybody's story like they have been in the industry for a long time but then they started making single malts oh, okay. yeah, but I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how these things how, how the new ones are going to to be it's, uh, well you can, you can call it as a competition if you want to but it's just uh, I would say it's more about research and finding out <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, it's, it's, it's the building of an entire category yeah, exactly. and so you know we as independent bottlers only talk up independent bottlers if you look at the strengths of of regionality in scotland what that's done for space site what that's done for isla yeah. to be able to do that for india first and then have it become regionality within india seems like a good thing for everybody mm-hmm. i mean it's a um, it's a big there certainly are enough it's a big regions. it's a big country and uh, what i would really like to see myself in the market after you know with the experience uh, which is which you don't see much today is you will find, you know, when, when you look in the, into a bar in the menu, for example, you'll find American whiskeys, you find Scotch whiskeys, and then it says world whiskeys or rest of the world. Yeah. I would like yeah. to see that as into categories as well, saying Japanese yeah, whiskeys or Indian whiskeys, yeah. and uh, uh, rather than just saying as world whiskeys in one category. Uh, why world whiskies? I mean, I think every whiskey, every whiskey is a world whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but every oh, there's so many countries coming up. I mean, Sweden, there is Belgium. I mean, there are whiskies from different countries, and with uh, with with the way even we are growing as India is coming up with different whiskies, I would really like to see that as said as Indian whiskey. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, agreed wholeheartedly yeah, it's it's like you know for me and people are saying oh Jason have you seen England's got a distillery yeah. do you see Wales has got a distillery do you see India has started yeah, yeah. it's brilliant fantastic more yeah. more please um, let's keep exploring this rich whiskey world yeah. uh, and let's let's represent the entire category 
with key denotations within that. Yeah. It's quite sad. It's, uh, there's another term which is used sometimes is non-Scotch whiskey. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. terrible. Yeah, that's a negative connotation. <laughs> that's very bad, yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. I've, I've seen that on, on, on a menu sometimes as well. So. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. I hate to see that. Uh, well, well, thank you, cool. sir. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so that much. Was a, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this conversation pretty much as well. So it was fun to to talk to talk with you guys. Jason, I have I have a confession to make to you. Checks out. That's what I said going into the interview. <laughs> <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> well, my confession to you is that you know, I know we're about to drink some whiskey, but I don't have a glass, so I'm going to just drink straight out of my little sample bottle. But before we do, before we take this sip of whiskey from A, your glass, B, my sample bottle, I suggest we raise this to the good Shilton Almeida for spending time with us, for talking with us, teaching us about Paul John, and for sending us these cask samples for a future SCN release. Exactly. Cheers, Shilton. Cheers, Shilton. So I just want to make sure I'm sipping from the right one. This is cask 6341. This will be for the U.S. market, and this is peated Paul John. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's so oh, my together. gosh. So, okay, so, so Jason, because you have a glass and I don't have one on me, I'm just taking tiny sips from my bottle. I guarantee there's people who are listening to the podcast who may not have experienced Paul John before. Could you go over some tasting notes that you're getting from this to give people an idea of where the flavors lie? You and I will always talk about spirit-driven house character or house style. Mm. One of the things for me with Paul John is there's always a brightness to it. There's always a sweet cereal note that I often think of as a yellow note, hmm. right? And I think about those nice, you know, golden ears of, of barley swaying in the wind. And I, and I can't help but get that on the nose and the palate. This is peated barley. So there is that little bit of smoke going in concert with that sweetness, with that grain. And then there's this little bit of tropical fruit, this mm. additional mm-hmm. fruit sweetness coming through. And I'm, I'm trying to be careful here because I know I'm saying sweet a lot, but in no way do I find it cloying. And sometimes a sweet spirit can become quite cloying. You don't want to go back to it. I think there's enough framing from the wood in the back of the palate and mm-hmm. into the finish that really balances the sweet that comes mm-hmm. in on the front end of the palate. I mean, you know, subtle, subtle hints of pepper round about it, just a ground grey pepper, not a freshly cracked pepper, anything like that. Mm-hmm. But so, so inviting, you know, it, it is one of those hard <laughs> points at which you just get to it's just freaking delicious, right? You just want to keep sipping it. That's That, to me, 
you and I talk about this in our sampling sessions, our selection meetings. Mm -hmm. Do I want to pull this off my shelf? Yeah. Do I want to take another sip of this when it's yeah. in my glass? Yeah. And and this absolutely checks those boxes. And not only because it's something we have selected, but the same is true of the cane heads bottlings, mm -hmm. right? Those are things we pull off of our shelves. We want to revisit that. Mm. That, that peat is just so nice on this. I will add this. Okay. Because I, I did want to point out that there's other things around the sweet notes. And it could just be something you and I have been talking about a lot but there are fresh hospital bandages, clean hospital bandages, the gauze, the little bit of antiseptic, right? Just around the edges, which is for me such a classic Pete note. It is, you know, it's also a note that might turn some people off. So <laughs> I'm with you. Like I, I get that note in, in a lot of, Isla whiskeys, right? Uh, occasionally in some Highland peat notes. But like for me, that's, that is a nice note. That's a familiar note that I look for in peated whiskeys. But would you describe it another way for people who may not be familiar with that sort of scent? But I think, but I think people are familiar with it, right? Are look at, look yeah. at for years where Laphroaig ran with band-aids, right? Nobody's thinking about a dirty band-aid that's come off a kid's knee and floated to the bottom of a swimming pool, right? Which is, you know, always a horrible place to find a band-aid, right? <clears throat> but instead you're thinking about what's the overall smell of your band-aid box, right? If you've got kids, you have a band-aid box. Yeah. Uh, and that's where they're pulling their band-aids from. Or when you first open the, the package of band-aids, what do you get? And so, you know, a fresh hospital bandages, it's, it's just, it's that sense of, of cleanliness, but mm. also with maybe even a little bit of the, the plastic going on in it, right? Okay. Which is now digging a, a much deeper hole. But it's, you know, it's like being in your doctor's office and they pull out a single use item out of, you know, you know, clean packaging, mm -hmm. right? It's a, yep. it's a, you know, it's a, it's a clean, it's a safe aroma okay okay no I, I i like that i like that a lot so for those of you because i i feel as if coming out of that interview i may have i may have rushed into the tasting of the notes and such and so in case you missed it i snuck in a little bit of an announcement there that single cask nation is going to be doing a paul john release and what we're tasting right now is the uh, cask 6341. This is the peated cask for the U.S. But we've selected two casks now, one peated for the U.S., one peated, I'm sorry, one unpeated for the, for the rest of the world. And speaking of the rest of the world, Jason, do you think this might be a good time to maybe bring in the paper boy and talk about some of the things going on for single cast nation, UK, Europe, Asia. I think that's a wonderful idea. Boom. Beyond the Paul John, the, the unpeated Paul John that, that we will have for UK Europe. And to be honest, 
you know, it's it hasn't shipped from India yet. It's probably going to take a couple months even to get to Scotland. So that will be a 2021 release, to be honest, for both the for the U.S. cask and the rest of the world cask. But let's set our sights upon 2020. What do we see for UK, Europe, Asia for our 2020 end of year releases? Well, I, I think some big news that we just got this week is that South Africa has reopened to alcohol importation mm-hmm. and and even internal sales. And so Mark Pendlebury, who mm-hmm. many of our listeners may very well know as Whiskey Brother mm-hmm. in the, the Whiskey Online community, he has acquired a cask of Tennessee whiskey from us. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah, we bottled it exclusively for him and his customers. So very excited about that one. Really excited to get that out the door and and on the water and off to South Africa. Yep. I think that'll be a real treat for his customers. Yes, selected by him. The notes on the label written by him. Real good uh, exclusive partnership with them on that selection. Yep, yep. And then beyond that, I don't think we mentioned it on the podcast before, but we're now distributed in Germany. A very exciting development for such a well-known and well-regarded whiskey country. Really excited to be in a very well-known and very well-regarded whiskey country. You know, the Germans love their single malts and... They're independent bottlers. And that they do. So I'm, I'm excited. We have our very good friend, Mr. Whiskey Quiz, Jens Fischer, mm-hmm. who has, has been such a wonderful supporter of ours. And uh, we're now in your country, Jens. Take good care of us. He should know. He's the one who put us on to our distributor. Right? This is the beauty of Single Cast Nation members, of One Nation Under Whiskey listeners. It's so interesting to know that that our customers, that our listeners, that that our friends are looking out for us. Right? I I think think that's just phenomenal. On top of the, the bourbon for South Africa, which will be a South African exclusive, obviously I want to talk about release number two. And that's release number two for UK, Europe, Asia, you know, basically everything other than than the US. But I did want to mention to our, to our listeners here that, that there is still stock left of our Tama'in, our Tianinich, our Kregeliki, our Trinidadian rum, and our blended malt. Those are still available. Our Kalila, however, has completely been sold out. Wonderful. Right. And so if, if anybody is looking for any of our, we called our 70 CL series. If anybody's looking for our 70 CL line, 700 milliliter bottlings, you can find it uh, through the Whiskey Exchange, through Master of Malt. I'm sure there's a, a few other online whiskey shops popping up that you may be able to find us at. And I, I don't wish to muddy the water here, but just when you said the 70 CL series, you made me think of this. For those who purchased our Kalila in the 75 CL bottles, the Kalila Sherry Butt that came to the United States, that is also completely sold out. Well, there you go, too. Yeah, I guess Kalila sells. And that That's was a Sherry Butt. Yeah. <laughs> 
Do you remember um, we did one of our, our BYOSCNB events? Uh-huh. And uh, we made reference to the fact that we were being offered a lot of Kalila. Mm-hmm. And we really started turning it down. And a whole bunch of our members said, why would you ever turn down Kalila? You can't bottle enough Kalila for the nation. And we were kind of like, really? Is that a is that a thing? And, yeah, right? Oh, look, the Kalila's gone from the, the website. The Kalila's gone from the UK, rest of the world. It's, yeah, those members, they might know what they're talking about. So should we listen why, why to our members? <laughs> why don't we get some more Kalila, Joshua? I guess we should. But unfortunately... We will not have Kalila in release number two. But here's what we will have, Jason. Yes, Joshua. We are going to have a 29-year-old bourbon cask Aberfeldy. When's the last time you saw independently bottled Aberfeldy? Yeah, been a long time. Yeah, you and me both. On top of that, we've got some Imperial coming out. Some nice younger 20s Imperial coming out, also bourbon cask matured. We're going to have a nine-year-old Kleinleisch, which is insanely tasty. Just big, fruity, waxy, marvelous little whiskey. I have some and, of that sitting right here. I'm going to take oh, a little sip. Of, if, if the name of the game today is sipping from sample bottles, boy, do I have a little sample bottle to sip from. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's pear drops on the nose. Oh, that's lovely. We also will have a, a younger Glen Elgin coming out. And the cherry on the top. I don't know if this is the cherry on the top, but I am kind of excited about it. We have a couple of rums that we're doing. So we're going to have a Brazilian rum from the Apriste Distillery. And then, now, Jason, you and I have a really tough time pronouncing this, dis- this rum distillery's <laughs> name. So, th- so this uh, is a Guianan rum. James Foster uh, can write in and tell us how to pronounce it properly. <laughs> so why don't you spell it first? Because well, spelling it is part of the fun. Well, I'll get there. So it's a Guianan rum from 1999. And by the way, the Brazilian one was from 2011. So that's a nine-year-old. This, this Guianan rum is 21 years old. And the distillery is now shuttered. It shuttered in, in 2000. So this is a 99. So this was a year before it shuttered. And it's spelled U-I-T-V-L-U-G-T, which we've been saying, oi gavolt. That's it. That's our oi gavolt rum. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, whenever I see that collection of letters, I, I think about Scrabble tiles in your hand uh-huh. that you know the very next turn you're just going to put them back in the bag. You're just going to trade them all in because uh-huh. you're not getting anything out of it. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's pronounced something like oivolt. Oivolt or something or some, something foot. I think it's pronounced gold finger. That's how it's pronounced. Any, anyway... And then the very last thing within release number two is a grain. And this is an Invergordon from your birth year, Jason, from 1939, uh, 74. <laughs> Bazinga! <laughs> so there's quite a few whiskeys and, uh, and a couple of rums, too. I think release number two is shaping up to be pretty remarkable. Yep, UK, rest of the world are going to get spoiled with that one. Uh, I'm really happy with it. 
that mm-hmm. that Clinlish that I just sipped on is absolutely delightful. And if our the nine year old Clinlish that we released as part of our retail line in the United States mm-hmm. last year is any indication, this is going to disappear off shelves. Lickety split. Lickety split. Okay. If if that concludes the news portion, I uh, I have a wonderful email that will provide an absolutely delicious transition. Ooh, that sounds delicious. It sounds <laughs> appetizing. How's that? It sounds appetizing. The wonderful Aaron Brasher, who is in Tennessee. I don't want to give too many personal details, but he's in the state of Tennessee. All right. Uh, he, he and I have had some email back and forths, and and he is he's wonderful. Actually, talking about the Clinlish 9, he picked it up at a store in Tennessee and reached out to us to say it was phenomenal. Hmm. Absolutely phenomenal. That's I think great. his exact words were life-changing. And, I, I, you know, I, I'm not, you know, lying when I say that. So... Uh, So here we go. He says, I do have another question. And again, I'm in no hurry. And I have no idea if I'm asking the right person anyway. But what's up with the Port Dundas 42 from the last retail outturn? I feel like there's been no talk about it. No reviews. Nothing. I keep thinking there's got to be a story there. Why pick it? What drew SCN to it? I mean, somebody had to fall in love with something like that in order to trouble about buying it. But there's this silence, exclamation point. <laughs> I've seen one or two around, but it's kind of a scary thing to buy considering the price and the general ambivalence about single grain whiskey. Just curious, huh. that's all. So what say you, Joshua Hatton? Can we, can we do what we normally do? Can we start at the end and work our way backwards? Yeah, because the last line has me a bit curious. Now, I have known people to not like grain. I've known people to love grain. I haven't met too many people who have been ambivalent about grain. Right? Although, although I wonder, remember on, on an episode of the podcast, I'd made reference to William Grant's coming out with a, you know, I want to say a 25-year-old, that number could be wrong, but in that vicinity, a 25-year-old Gervin, Mm -hmm. and they they released it for too much money, and it didn't sell particularly well, and shortly thereafter, they retreated from releasing grain. And I wonder if Aaron's maybe getting at that point surrounding ambivalence when it comes from Obi official bottlings, distillery bottlings. Mm-hmm. But you and I know there's there's a lot of enthusiasm for for grain whiskey, old and young, coming from independent bottlers. Yeah, it's it's funny. I guess I guess in a weird way I was playing I was playing a little bit of ostrich there. You know, my head is so much within the independent bottling world. 
And when you think of independent bottlings, you know, most, when they do a release, there's going to be their malts, there's going to be a grain, there's going yeah. to be a peated in there, right? There's, there's just, this is what we do. We want to have an array of flavors. And yeah. what a way to show different flavors is to provide a different style of whiskey. So, so they're prevalent and they're somewhat sought after within independently bottled whiskeys. But yeah, I guess when, when it comes to the Gervin that Willie Grant released and maybe the Hague Club that was released, you know, those unfortunately were not received very well. When, when they were released. So I can see that there wasn't an ambivalence about it. So with that said, I think we've, we've clarified that, that end point quite nicely, if I do say yep. so myself. Yep. This Port Dundas, mm-hmm. we, we put it in the outturn. We certainly talked about it a little bit in the, the literature for the general outturn, mm-hmm. but we didn't do a lot of legwork on it for a, a pretty obvious reason. That reason being there was, what, 92, 96 bottles? There was, no, there was nothing... A ridiculously tiny amount. There was nothing for us to do. I mean, I think, <laughs> I, I think the most amount of work that we spent on that single cask was dealing with how to allocate it to yeah. different states. Oh, you need a single case? That's cool. You want... Two cases? I don't know if we could do that. Maybe you'll get the case. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was a lot of work trying to put that out there because there were so few bottles. Because Port Dundas is a shuttered distillery, right? Shuttered in 2010, demolished in 2012, I want to say. And uh, yeah, 42 years old, 96 bottles from the cask. There was no work to be done. We didn't need to work up samples to send to anybody. Nope. I, I mean, no. it sold out so quickly, neither of us got a bottle. So it, it sold out so quickly that we actually have a single cast nation member slash one nation under whiskey listener named Chris Sweener. He's he's up in Massachusetts. He's a he's a Amra fanatic. The only way I can get my hands on a little bit of this port dundas was to trade do a sample trade with him. I gave him a, a little bit of the single cast nation Amrut five to get some of my own <laughs> single cast nation port Dundas 42. Yeah. So, so we fell madly in love with that. You know, but the great thing about port Dundas is that it's always had this incredibly heavy slash candied style to it. And that is so attractive, even in younger port Dundas. I remember, uh, David Stirk, under his exclusive regions label, released yes. a twelve-year-old Port Dundas that was. Just, I know the exact release you're talking about. Oh, it was just robust and flavorful and complex. It was delicious. So yeah, we fell in love with it. We saw the price. Ooh, that looks good, and so we said yes to it. And then we found out it only had ninety-six bottles. Yeah. Yeah, that was unfortunate because it was a release that we did want to spread far and wide. We thought it would represent us and the closed distillery exceptionally well. And then the outturn came and we didn't want to walk away from something that we really liked. But at the same time, we understood, oh, as you mentioned earlier in this, in this answer, this is going to cause problems with allocation. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and to be fair, the distributors were pretty level-headed about it. I think we, I don't, I don't think we made too many enemies in allocating it the way we did. No, no, not too many. <laughs> um, <laughs> so does that answer Aaron's question? Where, was there another segment of it? Yeah, okay, good, 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 good. Oh, um, that was good. I've, I have another email though. I know you have another email that, that we should get to. Someone also wrote us a letter, and I wanted to read a little bit of that letter. So a letter, you say? We certainly don't get those every day. Should we be giving out the company mailing address in case anybody wants to send us a postcard or a letter, a handwritten letter? I'll tell you what. If anyone sends us a handwritten letter, like pen pals, did you... Oh my gosh! Did you have a pen pal growing up? Absolutely. Of course you did. So did I. I had a few of them. So yeah, if someone wants to be our pen pal, if many people want to be our pen pens pal or pen pals, yes. Is it it pens pal? (laughs) 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 You can you can write us just like this listener did. You could send us a letter or a postcard to. J and J Spirits, P.O. Box three three five, Guilford, Connecticut. That's G U I L F O R D. State code is C T zero six four three seven. When's the last time you you asked someone to send you a letter? This is so good. This I feel like we're on a TV program from about nineteen eighty six. Yeah, if, if you'd like to get in contact with us, oh, this is wonderful. Oh, I really hope people take us up on this. Come on, you're you're listening all around the world here. Send us a postcard. That would make us smile. I, I don't want to read the entire letter, but mm-hmm. there there's yep. a segment of it that I do want to read. So the letter came in from the listener's name is Vadim. And Vadim, I apologize. I'm going to do my best with your last name. Perlovsky. That sounds that good. Sounded like an okay attempt, yeah. I, I'm not gonna lie, I think I did a great job there. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers so, to you. Well cheers done. to me, yes. <laughs> so Vadim says, Dear J and J, I have to admit, I've been a huge fan for a few years. I stumbled upon One Nation Under Whiskey when I was looking for a whiskey podcast to listen to while driving to a work conference in Monterey, California and instantly fell in love with it. It is by far my favorite podcast, and then he scratched that out, Padcast, and my my only complaint with it is when the episodes are less than two hours. Oh my gosh, (laughs) that makes me feel great. (laughs) I can just imagine the listeners right now who are screaming, don't encourage them, don't tell them that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Soon you'll be getting the director's cut version of the pad cost. Now this this next sentence is very near and dear to my heart. You really set the bar with the way you do the interviews. And then this is the part here. Now that's that's very nice. And I very do nice. thank Vadim for that. But here here's here's the gold. This is the money shot. And the production quality is the best in the industry. Mm-hmm. Oof, I love a good compliment. Um, yeah, even when Jason sounds like he's speaking from the bottom of a well during the Dr. Kirsty episode. Well, if you spoke into the right microphone, we wouldn't have that issue. Anyway, 
He goes on and he says, I love the different guests that you feature and the variety of topics that you discuss. The jokes and banter are a huge plus, and I love the little audio snippets that uh, the audio snippets you insert at times. Honestly, there are a lot of reasons I'm a fan. The podcast is fantastic. It's easy to listen to. I learn something new every time, be it about whiskey or Indiana Jones movies. (laughs) 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 And now that I've had a chance to try some of the whiskey you put out, I can see why it sells out in minutes. Great job. And then we're going to end it with this. You two are role models for the whiskey industry but also for friendship goals. Every time I, right, right. Every time I listen to the intro, I can hear the friendship you guys have. And that's really (laughs) inspiring. Thank you for that. (laughs) I'm glad my short temper doesn't come across in the introductions. (laughs) Oh, I was was trying to think, okay, short temper. What about his long something? And I couldn't think of anything to, to play off of, so. Just yeah. That was but a wonderfully kind letter. That's really so beautiful. It really was. So Vadim, thank you so much for for sending that in. It really means a lot that you take out the time to to write that letter to us. And to think that we would feature that letter in an episode that's about to run three and a half hours, I think really <laughs> speaks to how we plan. This episode is as long as the movie Gandhi. <laughs> The kids love that well, reference. <laughs> I was going to say, is that an India reference? Because it's a Paul John episode. Like, oh wow! I hadn't, e- I hadn't even thought about that. Like I just that. remember, I just remember going to see Gandhi with my dad and falling asleep in the theater. Yeah, uh, yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Great movie for an adult. That came out in 1982. <laughs> I think I was nine at the time. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Did. Jason, you had a, another email you wanted to get to? I do have another email here. Let's see. Who are we going to get this from? Oh, I know who we'll pick on here. We are going to reach for Tony Rivera. All right. Who, the good balancer. Used, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He used to come at us as balancer. And, and so, you know, Tony, it's a tremendous email. There's three very lengthy questions here. I'm only going to do the first. Okay. So and, and then, Tony, as we've done with Liz in Seattle many a time, we may very well return to one of your questions in a future episode. Just in, in defense of Balancer slash Anthony, do you think he minds you calling him Tony? It says Tony right here. Okay, okay. I just, I'm just thinking I want to look out for him. Jesus, Is that cool? Are you Joshua's cool with that, Jay? World. You cool with Joshua's that, Jay? Of the world. Anyway, moving on. What was that about short temper? Anywho, here we go. With the recent travel restrictions and businesses temporarily closing or working Mm -hmm. from home, Mm -hmm. do you see the well running a bit drier for all independent bottlers for what they may offer in 2021? Particularly, will there be a bit less in 2021 from single cask nation? Hmm. Cheers, Tony Rivera. Yeah, cheers. That's that's an interesting question. You know, when this whole COVID thing started, there were definitely closures, right? There were warehouses that were just shut. There were bottling halls that were just shut. There were distilleries that 
you know, in Scotland, I don't think many Scottish distilleries were producing hand sanitizers. They were either going about business as usual because a lot of what happens in the distillery is is automated by computers, or they just shut down temporarily. However, I think currently that that's turned around a little bit. Correct. And we're, right, and we're seeing warehouses open. We're, bottling halls are opening. We're, we've gotten things bottled. Things are slower. There's no doubt about that. But do you see this turning into us or any other independent bottler releasing fewer whiskeys in 2021? I I think there was the potential for it with you and I being US based. Mm-hmm. I think if you're UK based and you all experience the same length of lockdown, everybody is coming back from the same place. And and we've heard from many people in the industry, not every facility shut down. Mm-hmm. You know, because production could be run with a skeleton crew of two and and they can socially distance very easily. But production really wasn't hit by this. No, not really. The the warehouses that you're talking about and the bottling halls that you're talking about are really those who would serve independent bottlers. And so for you and I in the United States, obviously right now we can only fly to the United Kingdom if we go into quarantine for two weeks when we get there. Do we need a visa as well? I think we might need a, a work visa as well currently. Well, the British citizen has not looked into that aspect of it. <laughs> <laughs> One of us so, can walk into yeah. his home country quite easily. <laughs> My point is, you and I go to Scotland for four days. You and I go to Scotland for seven days. If we have to build in a two-week quarantine, that would have to be on the front end and the back end when we then returned home. You and I would be out of commission for a very long time and it just ain't going to work. But a bit like the world has embraced Zoom and Zoom meetings and Zoom tastings, we have embraced and, and those we work with have embraced the rapid shipping of samples. Mm-hmm. And like you correctly said, yes, there was a period where no samples were moving anywhere. Mm-hmm. But before that and after that, here's one of the things that, that we've talked about a few times. As independent bottlers, our brains are always six months in the future. Always. Always. Yep. And so the fact that we're sitting here towards the end of August you and I are already into the first quarter of 2021. Mm-hmm. And so always thinking ahead, we had to get our heads around what is 2021 going to look like and how do we prepare for that? At the mm-hmm. same time thinking, how do we close out 2020? That's been part of what we've talked about in today's episode. However, I don't know if listeners have had the same experience that you and I have had, but On the consumer side of things, I really battened down the hatches in the beginning of lockdown. I was like, okay, I've got plenty of whiskey. I don't need to be going to liquor stores. Clearly, we're not going to bars. Clearly, we're not doing tastings. I'm just going to consume what I've got on hand. This is is a bunker situation. Mm -hmm. And I've got plenty of, of nice brown spirits in my bunker. 
And, and that worked two months, maybe three months. And then, and I, I hope this is like our listeners, I got kind of bored and kind of fed up not <laughs> buying anything. And, and, I, and I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll just buy a couple, just a couple of new things just to have on the shelf, get them opened, have a wee taste. And as soon as I took my finger out of the dike... Holy moly, was I covered in salty sea spray. I went bananas. And I have been buying like there's no tomorrow. And I would echo that you and I as a company, we have done more buying in the last two or three months than we have done at any point in almost 10 years of our history. And we are now sitting on so many casks in Scotland that when the time comes and we we re-gauge them and we pull samples from them and we we go through our own focused sampling for what the future will hold, I think you and I might run up against the opposite of what Tony is suggesting here, which is... We're going to have to be very careful how we build out the next few releases because I think there's going to be a level of excitement where we want to show off this castle we bought and this castle we bought and this other castle we bought and, you know, this rum over here and this Indian over there. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to have the opposite problem. Yeah, isn't, isn't that interesting? We've purchased so many casks, so many casks. You know, and just thinking back to 2011 when we started the business, uh, up until not too long ago, we we just didn't have much of an inventory. We always sort of bought on the spot. If we liked it, you know, we'd bottle it and we'd sell it. Sometimes we'd finish this here, finish that there, or something like that. But now we're in a situation where we've we, we've got a good inventory here. I'm so excited about 2021 and seeing how these casks develop. And, and exactly right so yeah so I, I agree with you I think we're going to have a bit of an opposite problem I think the only thing that can affect independent bottlings coming into the US is the consumer's reaction to just continual 25% tariffs right it may change what we put into the US to try to keep prices down right so we're, we're looking at different styles of whiskey we're looking at different countries of origin and different spirit types. Like, we've always wanted to do fun and interesting stuff. Now we have 25% tariffs that are forcing us to get a little more fun and a little more interesting in different ways as well. Yeah, for listeners of One Nation Under Whiskey who haven't dipped their toe into Extra Extra, it's all about whiskey yet. The last two episodes of Extra Extra, we've spent 30 minutes each time talking more about the 25% tariffs. And while, yes, we'll be the first people to admit it's not the most exciting topic, I would much rather be talking about the four movies that make up the Indiana Jones series. (laughs) (laughs) Right? As would you, Joshua. Maybe you want to talk about the Aliens trilogy and the fourth movie that's coming out there. I think you mean the four Alien movies and then the prequels. But continue. (laughs) Too easy. Too Continue. easy, too easy. Um, <laughs> but yes, if you, if you haven't dipped your toe into extra, extra, we do we do have a little chat about that over there. Um, 
And, and even in the last episode offered up a, a little suggestion, which did get some feedback from friends that they are going to write to senators, um, see if they can expand upon these 13 senators yeah. who, uh, who made the bipartisan yeah. call to, to drop the 25% tariffs. So, yeah. so there you go. There you go. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you, what I, that's, uh, that's uh, it for uh, uh, the with and the... <laughs> We have to get out of here. But, Jason, did you have something that you have to say? I feel like I'm stepping no, in your perfect. toes. You're stepping... Yeah, no, okay. You're perfect. I liked okay. exactly what you did, which is why I didn't continue to talk over the top of you. So we do want to get out of here. But before we get out of here, Jason, we received a new comment on Apple Podcasts about the podcast. And so I Ooh. wanted to read that. Brilliant. And for anybody who hasn't done that, please, 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 please do... It really helps us find uh, a new audience, an expanding audience. And uh, and yeah, isn't it fun to tell somebody there's something they might enjoy? You might tell them for 12 years and they might never watch it. But at least you've done your civic <laughs> duty of getting out there and telling somebody about it. Wow. And we would feel, both appreciate that. I feel like you're just spacing out there. Anyway, the comment here on Apple Podcasts, the title is Up My Alley. And Whoa, with a rubber hose? <laughs> and it's five stars. And the author is war underscore weasel. Could be Wiesel. I don't know, but I think it's weasel. How is it spelled? Like a weasel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to get fancy with words. And so war weasel says, I discovered SEN a few years ago tasting whiskey at Jack Rose in D.C., with a five-year-old Lafroig. It yep. was amazing. I joined the ranks of the nation and recently started listening to the, quote, pad cost. God, I love how everybody just champions my not knowing I, how to use the English language. I'm going to say just in honor of Were Weasel, which is a brilliant, brilliant name. I am War, War, war Weasel. War Weasel. In honor of mm -hmm. the great War Weasel. Mm. I'm actually... Going to open and pour the Lafroy Five right now as I listen to this comment. Oh, there's a lot of char in this. I've been getting more there and is. more emails from people about the char in the bottom of their Lafroigs. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah, a lot of flocculation in the lipids as well. Carry on. You flocculate in on your own terms and behind closed doors. Anyway, it says I've never really sorry. I've never really been a podcast guy. But Joshua and Jason's knowledge, enthusiasm, and humility combined... Oh. Right? <laughs> it's my favorite thing about myself. I love my humility. I tell everybody I meet about my humility. <laughs> he really knows us. He knows how much humility <laughs> we have. It's really Cheers. good. <laughs> so their, their enthusiasm and humility combined with my kind of sense of humor make this my go-to. I'm right around their age, so all of their references are completely <laughs> natural to me. It's another old man. Yeah, the, the kids really love our references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it, like I said, we could talk about Gandhi in the next one. Anyway. <laughs> I feel like a Gandhi reference is somewhat timely. It's somewhat, somewhat, somewhat timeless. Somewhat, somewhat. I, I do think Gandhi the movie might be a little timed out, but here we are. <laughs> I will warn of a danger to the bank account. 
I've already made several purchases based on listening to the episodes. And he gives an example, and this is what I love. Most people would assume he's talking about single cast nation releases, but his point, he says, the infrequent flyers was challenging to an American, but I got it done. So he listened to her interview with Allie Walker of Infrequent Flyers, and he said, no, you know what? That sounds interesting. I'm going to give it a go. How cool is that? That's really cool. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And he goes on, he says, if you have even a passing interest in whiskey, please do not pass this one up. You'll regret it, which sounds like he's threatening bodily harm to anyone who tries to pass this up. He is the war weasel. Do he's not the, do not fall victim to the war weasel. Var Wiesel, I think it is. Listen, um I know I know I said that we wanted to get out on this, but I there is something that we have to tell our listeners and and it's this in was conjunction. Huge. This was huge. This was huge. This was beyond huge. And and this is in conjunction wow. with with letting people know how they can get in touch with us, right? What I've got that's beyond huge remains out of shot while we're recording this. But I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate your generosity of spirit. Let me let me put it like that. <laughs> so Jason and I have secured an interview with the one and only Will Oldham. Now if you don't know the name Will Oldham, you might know the name Bonnie Prince Billy, the musician Bonnie Prince Billy. That's his stage name. His real name is Will Oldham. He was also in a band called uh, Palace Brothers, also Palace Music. You might have seen him in the new movie A Ghost Story with Casey Affleck. He was like the one guy in the movie that had any amount of speaking parts in it. But if you like alt-country slash Americana slash just, just fun folk kind of stuff. He is the the modern godfather of it. I mean, he's so well-regarded, even Johnny Cash covered one of his songs. <laughs> That's a hell of a thing to bring up at parties. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we are interviewing him on September 8th for a future episode. So if you have any questions for the Goodwill Oldham slash Bonnie Prince Billy or just questions in general, please get them to us. You can email us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You could uh, tweet at us, at One Nation Whiskey. You could Instagram message us, at One Nation Under Whiskey, or you can just send us a message through Facebook. Just go to the search bar, look up One Nation Under Whiskey, and you can message us either through our page or our group page there. Do you want to give the... Mailing address one more time. (laughs) And if you want to get a letter out to us, which we would love. Or a postcard. Or a postcard. We'd love to see your handwriting. No ransom notes, though, please. Uh, please. Our our address is P.O. Box. And you can send it to J&J Spirits. Uh, It's P.O. Box 335, Guilford, Connecticut. That's G-U-I-L-F-O-R-D-C-T. 06437. I know we've been saying we're getting out of here on the last three things, but <laughs> we also had something else great happen last week, which is Unfiltered Magazine, the magazine of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, came out and they mm. did a little piece on whiskey podcasts, just as we're listening to War Weasel, 
talk about us here. And there's a quote in here from Richard McKeend. And I hope okay. I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yep. And and he is just quoted saying the most wonderful thing. So this is from Unfiltered with the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. These are their words first. What it is. One Nation Under Whiskey is hosted by independent bottlers, festival organisers and tour company owners Joshua Hatton and Jason Johnston Yellen. With four seasons of episodes, the duo from Connecticut and Ayrshire respectively talk about their work while also providing news and interviews with industry experts, which is brilliant. That's so beautiful. That captures mm-hmm. us so beautifully. Mm-hmm. And then Richard's quotes. I'm, I'm guessing Richard was one of the people who nominated us for, for this kind of um, awareness post. Right. Richard writes, hosts Joshua and Jason are whiskey experts who aren't done learning. And from the outset, this podcast will educate and entertain everyone who's listening. Joined each episode by some seriously special guests, (laughs) this often hilarious and at all times informative podcast will suit everyone from the aspiring whiskey drinker to the seasoned whiskey geek. And that was Richard McKeend. That that just brings a massive smile to my face. You know I love the compliments, Jason. But here's here's the thing you and I said to each other. You you texted that to me and we wrote back and forth yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. It just captured what we are most proud about with this pad cost. One hundred and not and not just the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society's words, but Richard's as well. The, everything we're trying to put forward has been picked up by both parties and we set out to do a task and it's it's being received as such. It just makes me so damn happy to see that's how people are receiving us. Yeah, really I, I just, I loved it. You know, I, I, I didn't like the recognition just for the sake of recognition, but the recognition that hopefully we're doing this the right way and we're having a ton of fun doing it. We've got mm-hmm. an amazing listener base, absolutely tremendous and long may it continue. We're going to continue churning these out and we're going to continue interviewing industry folk and we're going to continue being whiskey geeks first and foremost and good friends who are having a bit of a laugh along yep. the way. Indeed. That is a perfect place to get out on, Jason. I'm going to cheers you all with my SCN Lafroig 5 bottled September of 2016. And I'm going to cheers you all with my sample bottle of the Single Cast Nation Paul John, cask 6341, with my Cadden Heads Paul John bottling, the, the six-year-old from the warehouse. <laughs> uh, Cheers, everybody. Until the next time. Chin-chin. Cheers. Two chins. <laughs>